Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Uh, my name is Matt Moorhead. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, always a pleasure to be able to be here and to worship with you and uh, open God's Word. We're going to be in Psalm 119. You can grab your Bibles, and if you're not sure where Psalm 119 is, if you put your finger right in the middle of your Bible, you'll probably hit Psalms, and Psalm 119 is the longest of those Psalms, so your odds are actually pretty good that you'll find it. It's 176 verses, and we're going to spend a few weeks, this is the second of three weeks we're going to spend in Psalm 119, and uh, someone once said it this way, this book, the Bible, will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from this book. And so as we think about that dichotomy of this book being that which protects us from sin, from erring from the ways of God, we're also reminded that the very thing that we war against through this book wars against us being in this book. And so Psalm 119 is very much about the Word of God. And so I mentioned last week, and I'll reiterate for those of you who weren't here, of, of the 176 verses in this book, d- debatable few in there, almost every single verse mentions the Word of God. Commandments, precepts, laws, statutes, all these synonymous words are mentioned. And in all of it, we see the, the beauty of the Word of God and this picture that if you hold it dear to you, if you hold it near to you, that in fact it has this supernatural power to, to hold us in the ways of God, to cause us to walk in a way that pleases him in this life. And so this morning we're going to take a look at a second layer. There's a whole lot that could be said about this psalm, but we're going to look at the, the fact that diligence is required to walk in the word, that it takes diligence to do just that. We're going to read verses 9 through 16. We, we read 1 through 8 last week. This psalm is set up uh, like a long song with 22 stanzas. And each stanza kind of stands for is representative of a, a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And in this particular stanza, every, uh, every line starts with the Hebrew word Beth, which also means house. And so someone has once said about this particular stanza, it's almost like this is a picture of how to build the house of your heart to contain and walk in the word of God. And so I pray that that would be the case we read this. Let's read Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. It starts with a question. This is God's word for us, and it says this. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So the, f- the first line is a question. And so last week we looked at the fact that the, the blessed, there's a blessed way that a man or woman, someone who wants to follow God walks. And the blessing falls to those whose ways are blameless, who follow the word of God and the law of God. And so those, and so there's a question that then follows, like how can a young man, certainly a young woman, keep his way pure 
before God. And I want to do this, and it feels like a, a little bit like I'm robbing myself of like a conclusion to the message, but I can't help in this moment just share the good news because I think we feel what we felt last week and this call to be blameless in the ways of God. And we almost immediately, if we're honest, we feel the magnitude of our failure. Like we feel the struggle of like, I can't. I don't. I don't walk blameless. I don't walk in the ways of God perpetually. It's just not who I am. It's not what, it's not what I do. The psalmist proclaims that the blessing falls to that one. And so I would be to you as my family, I'd be like, I know. I know. We don't walk in the ways of God naturally, but we know one who did. But we know one who does. We know one who is able. And so like we're immediately confronted with our inability that has to usher us into the presence of good news. And it's found in many places, but let me just read you one place. In Jude 1, which is only one chapter in Jude, verse 24 and 25, says this. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. How does he present you? If your trust is in Christ, there will be a day when you stand before God, you will be presented blameless. Blessed is the man whose walk is blameless. I can't. I don't. That's right. Jesus did. And in this miracle of salvation, there will be a day when you stand before God and the question ultimately will not be, were you diligent enough? Were you righteous enough? Did you work hard enough? Did your good outweigh your bad? The question ultimately will be, what have you done with my son? Have you trusted in the blameless one? The one who did fulfill the law perfectly. Where is your faith where is your trust? And having put your faith in Jesus, that moment, and, and it's like the understatement of the universe, great joy. The Son ushers us into the presence of the Father, blameless. And what could that moment be but great joy? So although we're disheartened by the way in which we fail, and I talked about how New Year's resolutions in some ways are kind of born out of our sense of failure in our life, our deficiencies, because we want to be better at certain things. And even this week, I won't ask you to raise your hand, some of us saw ourselves even fail in the resolutions in one week. We're like, man, I'm weak sauce. I can't do this even for like a week. And even that sense of like inability should lead us to find great joy in the gospel. We're not forgiven based on diligence, but the forgiven are diligent. And so when we talk about discipline, we talk about how walking in the word requires diligence, I just want to make sure that it's clear up front that the diligence isn't to earn salvation. It's not to become blameless. There's a way in which we're called to be holy, but ultimately our acceptance and approval from God is because of Jesus. But when we're forgiven, when we're considered blameless through his righteousness, that we're diligent to actually look more and more like him. We talked about that in First Peter a lot, if you were with us. And in this psalm, 
There's a picture, a consistent picture of keeping and walking and seeking and learning. And it talks about keeping God's commandments in different forms of that word 28 times, walking three times, seeking five times, learning three times. So how can a man or woman keep their way pure before God by guarding it according to his word? To be a man or woman who pleases God, we need God's word to stand guard over our ways. Guard your ways with God's word. Could be the summation. How, how do I walk in a way that pleases God? Guard your ways according to the word of God. Use it as a guardian for your steps. And let me just share a couple passages that use the same word. I think the picture is helpful. Genesis 3, 24, maybe an unlikely place, but a helpful picture. This is after the fall of Adam and Eve. They're pushed out of the presence of God, out of the garden. They can't return. And what we hear said in that moment is God drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim, an angel, and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Same word that's used in Psalm 119. If you can picture an angel with a flaming sword guarding the garden from Adam and Eve's reentry. Picture the word of God like that around your heart, guarding you and protecting you from falsehood and evil. And that's the answer to this. How does a man or woman keep his way pure before you, God? By guarding it according to the word of God. The sword of the spirit we see in Ephesians chapter 6, right? Proverbs 6, verses 20 through 22 says it this way. Solomon says to his son, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. And when you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. Same word for guard. And when you awake, they will talk with you. So like a bouncer guarding the entrance of our hearts, the word of God guards the interests of our minds and our hearts, keeping us from straying, guarding our mind and actions from falsehood. It's a little bit like a map. You use that picture as well. Charles Spurgeon commented this way about that particular picture of the Word of God. He says this, says, With the greatest care, a man will go astray if his map misleads him, if it's a poor map. But with the most accurate map, he will still lose his road if he does not take heed to the map. The narrow way was never hit upon by chance. Neither did any careless man ever lead a holy life. We can sin without thought. It's easy for us. We have only to neglect the great salvation and ruin our souls. But to obey the Lord and walk uprightly will need all our heart and soul and mind. Let the careless remember this. To walk in the word requires diligence. Make no mistake about it. We're not saved by diligence, but the saved are diligent to walk in the ways of God. As with this stanza, as it continues, the psalmist builds out, it seems, in verses 10 and 11 specifically, the ways, like the elements of how we go about guarding our life. It's like the main principle is guard your life with the word of God. And here's some specific ways in which we do that. Verse 10 says, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. There's a wholehearted pursuit of the Word of God. Wholeheartedly seek the Word of God. Walking in the Word requires a wholehearted pursuit. 
And we're prone to wander, tempted to swerve, consistently going astray. We see at the very end of this psalm, which I read at the close of the service last week. Flip there with me. 176, the very end of the psalm. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. As we pursue the word of God, it's a, there's a way in which it's like God himself is pursuing our wayward hearts. But we are prone to wander. And only a wholehearted pursuit of God will cause us to watch for those wanderings. That's what Jerry Bridges said. And so in this verse, look at verse 10 again. With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. So the two halves of this verse capture, I think if we stop for a minute and just kind of consider our own hearts, this verse kind of captures our struggle in this life. Because it says at the outset, with my whole heart, I seek you. But then right after that, grants like this weakness. But let me not wander from your commandments. Isn't that a lot what our life is like, trying to follow God? You think of the man whose son was healed, Jesus healed him or was getting ready to heal him. And Jesus says, if you, if you believe, and he says, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. And so we struggle, like in our hearts, we want to pursue God wholeheartedly, but then we're reminded, like, I don't, and I feel like I can't. And so there's this prayer to God. There's an awareness of our weakness, our need and desire to wholeheartedly pursue God in his ways is often running hand in hand with our constant weakness to do the same. And it seems like some of what the psalmist is saying is that our weakness will tempt us to stray. That feeling of frailty will cause us to move away from the Word of God when it should cause us to push into the Word of God, to pray for more of God's assistance and enablement and help. So when in your weakness you don't want to seek God, you must seek Him. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. If we're not seeking him, I think you can fairly say this because the spiritual life we live isn't neutral. There's a way in which you could probably comfortably say if we're not moving forward and progressing in our love for God, we're drifting backwards into a place of apathy, a loss of love for God. If we're not seeking him, then it could be said we're straying from him in different degrees. There's something practically I would share with all of us. I would just commend you to think about it. It's all over the Bible, particularly in the Psalms. You see it in Psalm 119 all over the place. Don't run away from your weakness. Give voice to your frailty. If you find yourself, when you wake up tomorrow morning, knowing that you need to be in the Word of God, and you find warring against your heart your own apathy, your weakness, then speak to God about that very thing. Some of the most fruitful times in God's word I've ever had are on the heels of me saying, God, I don't, I don't want to be in your word right now. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like drawing near. And so much of the Christian life born out in faithfulness is to push through by way of just acknowledgement that, God, I am weak. Help me in my weakness. I'm not believing. Help my unbelief. I don't want to pursue righteousness. Help me pursue righteousness. Don't let me wander. I'm prone to wander. Psalm 119, verses, verse 133 says this. It says, keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. 
there's a way in which, like we have as believers, like this healthy degree of distrust of ourselves. Like I am prone to wander. Like you just sing that song. I can't remember what song that is. I can't place it offhand. But in the song, it's the strangest part of a song to raise your hands to. Like prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Like here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for the courts above. Like that part of like prone to wander. Like I've always feel compelled to raise my hands in that moment. There's something about acknowledging to God our weakness that infuses us with fresh grace and power to do the things we don't naturally want to do. And so in this moment, you see this, this kind of the presence of both, the desire to seek God, but let me not wander from your commandments. Verse 11 says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So the first thing it seems like we do to guard our hearts, we wholeheartedly seek the word of God. And secondly, is that we fill our heart with the word of God. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Walking in the word requires a heart full of God's word. Now, this word for store up is most commonly translated hidden in the Old Testament. Having found the treasures and riches of God's word, we hide it, we protect it, we store it. So just the other day I was working in the garage and we have a couple keepsake boxes. You probably have those as some measure. If, even if you're young, you might have a shoebox full of cards people have written to you or stuff you've written or things you've amassed over the years with your kids, right? So we keep these things as treasures and we put them in a box and we store them. We pull them out every once in a while, look at them and just reminded of all the joy and the shades of God's goodness. But you know what I'm talking about, the keepsake box. You put it in a place, you store it up that it might be used later just by way of encouragement and even worship. And that's kind of the picture here. So you take the word of God, you store it away, hide it in your heart, and there's a way in which it causes us to be guarded from sin. You see this in Proverbs 7.1, my son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments within you. I think there's even a TV show based on hoarders. Anybody ever watch that show? I've never watched it. I'd like to, actually. I, sh I should have watched it in preparation for this message. But I know enough about what a hoarder is, I can just imagine what the show is like. And I've helped some people move who I would say are actually should be on that show. So I have firsthand experience as to what hoarding looks like. I'm not a hoarder myself, just, just to make that clear. But for a hoarder, you could say this. There's nothing meaningless to a hoarder. Safe to say? Like, they, they keep everything. That's the definition of a hoarder. I didn't even look up the definition, but that should be in there. They keep everything. There's nothing meaningless. Even the smallest thing has some sort of value, sentimentally or otherwise, right? There's nothing disposable. They keep and treasure everything they have. Even the smallest thing they protect like a treasure. You could say it this way. They may not need it now. Some of you men know this, what I'm talking about here. You keep these pieces of wood in your garage. You're like, hey, I know I had it in 96. At some point, this piece of wood is going to be usable. I got like 40 of them in my garage right now. It's like, but you keep things around because someday they might be usable. That's what hoarders do. They're convinced it'll serve a purpose in the future. Some things have sentimental value and give rise to memories that we just don't 
want to let go of, all right? The illustration has gone on long enough. But what if, what if we treated God's word that way? Hoarding it. It's like every little thing we see has value and purpose. Every line has meaning. And we don't want to let go of any of it. Every single whisper from the mouth of God through his word is indisposable for us. Every word and principle meaningful to us. We keep, we protect, and treasure every command and every promise. Even the smallest portion we deem to have the greatest worth. And I think that's something of what's captured in this psalm, in this verse. I've hidden your word in my heart. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. As we read God's word, we'll often need to view God's promises and God's principles as preparatory for a future moment. You can know what I mean by that. We read a passage about suffering even. I've been reading through Job and our Bible reading plan that Haley and I are doing. It's tough. But you read through Job, and because it's not your experience in the moment, it's easy to detach yourself from the purpose of reading that. But what if that or other passages are preparatory for you for the moment that you do encounter the moment that you actually need to unearth that truth to help your faith and to strengthen your resolve to love God and to follow him? And I think we, if you've been walking with God long enough, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Store it up. Because even if it doesn't seem relevant now, Rest assured it will be. And this whole st- storing up, it's, it's probably inescapable. It drives us to a place of thinking about, like, how do we, we read this book? What are we doing? Are we just checking boxes? Are we just getting through a reading plan? Like, how should I read this? There's a couple things I would submit to you that should be present more and more in our lives. And memorization and meditation. You see meditation all throughout this psalm. In memorization, you could say just by way of the way, the, the wording that's used is present as well. Let me just read a couple words from James Boyce, an author and Bible commentator. And James Boyce talks about both memorization and meditation. Firstly, he says, memorizing is precisely what is called for, since it's only when the Word of God is readily available in our minds that we're able to recall it in moments of need and profit by it. So you capture it, you store it away in such a way, and I would even say this, particularly moments of difficulty, it can give you vocabulary for something that you're dealing with that you don't know quite what to say. You don't know quite what to pray. But it's like the Word of God will come alive to you in such a way that it almost prays on your behalf. It gives you words to use. And maybe particularly in suffering and challenge, but memorizing the Word of God is quite literally, the way to store God's word in our hearts. He goes on to talk about meditation. Meditation is recalling what we have committed to memory and then turning it over and over in our minds to see the fullest implications and applications of the truth. Probably my most vivid experience of this, like in life as a Christian, I've had many, probably the most vivid one, some of you have heard this story, when Ashlyn was born, um, she had some complications. She was in the NICU for a few days, and I remember just as her second child, just feeling, because they told, told us that she might have some really significant health issues. 
And for a period of about 24, 48 hours, there was just, we kind of sat underneath the question mark of like, what does this mean for our life? And I still remember like taking my Bible, going into the, the hospital waiting room, and I opened to Psalm 28. And I, I just read it. And I read it, if I read it 20 times, I probably read it 50 times. And you know what happened? As I poured over this psalm, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. Like I didn't quite believe it when I read it the first time. I wasn't really affected by it the first time I read through it, but I just kept reading it and saying it and thinking about it. And the more I read it, you know what? The more and more I began to believe it. It sank into my heart in such a way that it changed my perspective. It gave me security that I didn't have based on circumstance. And that's something of what meditation does. It's not just emptying your mind, kind of this Eastern meditation where you empty your mind of all things. It's actually filling your mind with the Word of God. That's what meditation is. And tumbling it around, the picture of a dryer, spinning the same truth over and over, thinking about it, saying it, proclaiming it, praying it back to God. And you see this picture of meditation all throughout Psalm 119. I'll paraphrase six quick verses that talk about meditation. You say it this way, I put your word before me. I fix my eyes upon it and meditate upon it. In the face of opposition, I meditate on your word. Because of your wondrous works, I meditate on your word. Because I love your statutes, I meditate on your word. People may lie about me and wrong me, but I will meditate on your word. Before the sun comes up, I wake up to meditate on your word. How does a man keep his way pure before you? By guarding it according to your word. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And the Hebrew word for meditate is also translated talk, speak, and even pray. It's helpful because meditation isn't that meaningless kind of murmuring we think about. It's actually saying the word of God to ourselves, to other people, proclaiming it out loud. It's fixing our eyes on God's word, filling our minds with truth, which ultimately leads us to speak God's word. Proverbs 6.22, we read earlier. Let me go back to it. The very last section, our last three words, is the same word that we have for meditate in the psalm. It says, when you walk, the instruction from father and mother and the word of God When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. It's the same word that we have for meditate in this psalm. Isn't that interesting? It's like the word of God will, you you talk it out. Speak it. Pray it. Think about it. And what happens is that ultimately it, it will begin to talk with you. It'll inform you. It'll instruct you. God, I think this, but you say this. My circumstances tell me this, but you say this. It's likely you've had that experience with God's word because it is living and active. And as you speak God's word in prayer and in meditation, it'll guard your mind, it'll speak to your heart and protect you from straying away from God's ways. And I'm going to close just kind of with a few comments on verses 12 through 15. We'll we'll talk about delight a little bit more next week. Verse 12 says, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. It's a good reminder. It's a practical reminder. We talked about it a little bit last week. 
is that when you go to open God's word, if it's true that you need to be in God's word, guarding your ways and your life with the word of God, every time that we open the word of God, we have to go with a sense of dependence, asking God to teach us. Like I prayed earlier, like the very first time, you see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the same God who spoke and the world began, spoke light into darkness, He's the one that spoke into your heart, shone into your heart, and allowed you to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so every single moment, every day, every time we open this book, there's a way in which we still depend on God to teach us his ways. It is a discipline, but it's not merely just a checking of a box kind of robotic exercise. Like we spiritually need God to reveal to us wondrous things from his word. That's what you see the psalmist said. Open my eyes that I might see wondrous things from your law. Teach me. Instruct me. Show me my own ways that I might walk in your ways. We talked about that last week, right? Let me not wander. It's almost escalated to this place of teach me. And God is a supreme instructor, a perfect teacher, eager to teach his people. His word through his spirit. And God's word is a delight to us. I couldn't help but be confronted by this in my own life too. As I think about just the way in which I share my faith, I could easily cop out as a preacher because I'm preaching the gospel every week. But who am I sharing Christ with in my life that needs to know the hope that I have in Jesus Like it's actually unthinkable that any of us would see God's word as a delight and fail to share it with other people. But we do it all the time. We're we're prone to keep it to ourselves and just merely enjoy our own salvation in the moments where God gives us opportunity, we hold it back. And I think every one of us needs to be challenged to be those who declare his statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth, verse 13. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. And there's this picture of praise. Like we delight in God's word, we praise him for the same in Psalm 119, verse 62 and 164, 171. Just, I don't think I'll have this verse up here. Let me just read these three quick verses to you. It says, at midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. Verse 164, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Verse 171, my lips will pour forth praise for you teach me your statutes. Maybe just a question to ask you. Like how much time do you spend praising God for what you find in his word? It's a very practical outworking of being a student of God's word is giving him thanks for what he shows you, what you see, the wondrous works that he's done in and for you. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I don't like getting up in the middle of the night, but God is worth getting up in the middle of the night to praise him for his rules. It's that extreme. For those of you who are morning people, you go to bed at nine o'clock, it's worth getting up in the middle of the night to praise God because he's that good. Because his rules are awesome. Verse 16, I'll delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. As I close off, 
it feels a little bit like verse 16 is, it kind of rings of what Joshua says at the end of the book of Joshua. You've probably heard it, you've seen it on t-shirts, on signs. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 15. There's a, there's a deep, in this verse 16, there's a deep, dependent resolve to delight in the word of God and not forget it. The world may continue to go after faulty joys and people around you chasing fraudulent treasures, but it's like the resolve in my heart, like the psalmist, is I delight in your word more than any treasure, more than hidden treasure. When I find it, I delight in it. Help me not forget your word. You will teach me your word. I will guard my life with your word and store it up in my heart. I will not forget your word. It'll be like to us, like Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. It'll be like the, the good part that won't be taken away from us, that we get to store in our hearts and unearth again and again the treasure of what God has done, who he is, and it'll be that always shining light unto our path, and always leading lamp unto our feet. And I pray that for us as his people, that we be ones who guard our lives according to the word of God, fill our hearts with the word of God as priceless treasure. And God, I think we're all mindful of how much we need you for that pursuit, that we are prone to wander, that we are prone to forget, we're prone to forget how good you are. Uh, we're prone to overestimate our ability and our strength. And I pray that we would instead, that we would lean wholeheartedly on your grace, that we would not shy away from confessing our weakness, but in fact give voice to it, that we might boast in our weakness, like Paul says. Because in our weakness, we actually find strength your power perfected in weakness. God, I'm grateful that you haven't left an unanswered question. Like, what does it keep, what does it take for us to keep our ways pure before you? And it requires a diligent pursuit of the word of God. And I pray that we be people of the word, men and women of this book, this book that will keep us from sin, but also that we can be kept from because of, because of our sin. Help us to be those who run hard after you in this life. Would you create in us a greater love for you than the things of this world? And I pray particularly for our young people in the audience. There's no mistake that the challenge is to the young man first. The young man and the, one, the young woman who maybe lacks experience and wisdom enough to warn them from chasing lesser things. And so I pray for our young people as I pray for my own children, God, that they would love Jesus more than they love the things of this world. Would they pursue Jesus Christ with a wholehearted devotion, a simple, pure, consistent devotion to Jesus? And through the power of your spirit, would you illuminate things in your word to our students, to our kids, to our youth, to our college students even, to the young people among us, Help them to see the treasure of who you are and what you have done and find in your word 
countless treasures to be enjoyed, to be guarded with over the course of their life. We love you. We want to love you more. You're worthy of our praise. As we sing this last song, God, we are grateful that those whom you set free are free indeed. As we reveled in at the beginning, that there will be a day where by no work of our own, but by our faith in Jesus, that we will be presented blameless before the glory of the one true God. And that day will be a day of great joy. So to you, the only wise God, we give honor and blessing. We give you glory and praise because you deserve it. And we love you. Thank you for the work that you have done through your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand together. We'll sing one last song.